Hello, everyone. My name is Mariah Muhammad, she, her pronouns, and I am a healthcare reporter at Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, we are joined by Colleen Ayala, Director of Dental RCM Products at Change Healthcare. With a master's in health administration for Chapman University, Colleen is on a mission to give dental practitioners the tools and understanding needed to thrive and sustain profitable growth. With nearly 20 years of experience in field operations and central billing support functions, she is currently focused on translating that experience into the software and product design of Change Healthcare's suite of dental solutions. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's crazy to hear someone say 20 years of experience out loud. Yeah. No, that is a long time, but you have so much experience. So excited to have this conversation with you today. The, the first thing that I want to talk to you about is, can you tell me about the industry challenges and impacts to electric adoption of eligibility verification? Yeah, absolutely. And we could probably spend our entire 30 minutes just talking about those challenges, but I'll try to keep mm-hmm. it brief. The good <laughs> news is electronic adoption, according to CAQH index, has actually increased in the last few years, most likely attributable to the pandemic. Um, So we're at about 71% full electronic adoption, but that still trails behind our medical partners about 18 percentage points. And it really boils down to in the dental space, there's just this tremendous amount of variability in the quality and the quantity of the 271 response coming back from our Um, eligibility participating payers. This leads our dental providers to, you know, really high call volumes, usage of payer portals in order to fill the gap of what they can't get from an electronic response. And I think because of that, it just doesn't bode well for, you know, the cost that they think is associated with investing in that transaction set and perhaps the ability for their practice management system to host it, normalize it, Etc. Got it. And who would you say are the key stakeholders in the eligibility space and what role do they play if you have an opinion about that? Yeah, so we have several, a couple I've already mentioned. So you have your dental provider um, and whomever that is within the dental provider practice that's doing eligibility of any kind. They're using either their practice management system to do direct uh, requests and response. They're using payer portals, they're making third-party outreach, or they're just using phone calls. So you have your provider practice, um, you have the practice management vendor itself, and their relationship or involvement really is how do they host and or receive the normalized version of a 271 transaction. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, a 271 is an EDI transaction set, which is a very raw data set. And unless you know, you're a nerd like me that likes to look at all of the X12 guidelines, it just doesn't make sense. It's a lot of, you know, positions and loops and segments that doesn't make um, heads or tails out of what benefit details are. So oftentimes there's a normalized or HTML version that's sent from the clearinghouse, another one of the uh, main stakeholders that is then sent to the practice management system or to the end user so that it's easier to read, so that human readable format. The clearinghouse is really normalizing all of that information or that variability that's coming back from all of the different payers that participate with eligibility transactions. So if a payer 
is not following or their interpretation of X-12 guidelines is, is somewhat creative <laughs> or they're not adopting some of the published guidance documents that are out there, then the clearinghouse, it's you know their responsibility to kind of normalize that information and send it out in that human readable format. And then finally, you have some standard organizations like Endetic, the ADA, X-12, and Weedy, and they're often, you know, representing all stakeholders in the industry to kind to come up with best practices and also be an advocate or an agent for change when they see that there's an opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. You spoke on a lot of good things that I would love to ask you about. And the next question that I have for you actually talks about the No Surprises Act, um, which was passed in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. So it's relatively new. So do you see any impact from the No Surprises Act? I mean, the short answer is yes, right? Yeah. Um, and just as a recap, the No Surprises Act uh, includes provisions that are related to dispute resolution process, good faith estimates and how the patient provider dispute process is meant to be carried out mm -hmm. and also expanding those rights for external review. But I think what we forget is that dental providers are already subject to balance billing regulations, as well as providing those good faith estimates for the uninsured and self-pay consumers. So while the No Surprises Act gives us regulation, additional regulation, we're already, you know, being impacted by the need to have regulation around around balance billing to, to consumers and patients. Got it. And can you talk through some strategies and best practices around uh, benefit estimation? Absolutely. This is probably my favorite part. <laughs> it oh, perfect. A lot. <laughs> It seems much more simple when I say it out loud, but the truth of it is, it's just one to have a strategy in place at all. Um, oftentimes eligibility, which is part of the overall revenue cycle is kind of an afterthought when you think of operations and best practice within a dental office. It's not until there's issues with reimbursement and or collections that it becomes part of you know, standard operating procedures. So one is just have a strategy period. <laughs> the mm -hmm. first is it's early and often. So the best thing that you can do in an eligibility um, workflow is to ensure that one, you're collecting the right information prior to the patient's appointment. So that means you're, you know, spending the time on the phone that's necessary to get the patient's information as much as you possibly can while they're scheduling their, their patient visit. And then checking that eligibility before they come to the office so that if there's any issue, you can reach back out to them, you can get the corrected information and ensure that they have the benefits that are appropriate for the office. And what I mean by that is if you have um, an HMO situation where you are obligated to be, you know, an assigned provider and perhaps that patient's not assigned to that practice, it can become an issue in terms of reimbursement and what the patient's responsible for out of pocket. So knowing that information up front will help when the patient gets to the practice. It helps their experience, it helps the staff's experience, and then you don't have a lot of surprises on the back end. And then it's as much as you possibly can, you know, engage in some type of eligibility or electronic eligibility practice so that you're saving time. I think on average, um, what I've seen
testing and stats is it takes about 20 minutes to do a full eligibility breakdown outside of using an electronic process. That's a lot of time to be spending on the phone or provider portal, getting facts back. And if you don't understand how benefit estimation works and you're just looking at an eligibility breakdown, the more information you have, the better. So the more time you spend, the more information you get. So it's trying to come up with, you know, how can I use electronic eligibility to my advantage and then fill the gaps where I can for the information that's needed. And what I mean by that is having worked in a dental office for many years, usually they have what they call like their IVR, their insurance verification uh, request form. And there's a ton of different questions, maybe a hundred. And they're not necessarily relevant to the services that are being offered to the patient that day, but they want the information just in case. So if you're collecting all of that detail and it's not needed, what do you do with it? You've spent all of this time for something that's not relevant Mm -hmm. and perhaps missed something that was important. So if there's services that you forgot to ask because it wasn't part of your IVR or the hundred questions that you ask, then you know you're in a little bit of trouble and finding yourself calling back or or guessing what those benefits might be and then you get back into you know your good faith estimates and balance billing and all of that good stuff so yeah just have a plan yeah no that's that's a definitely great answer if you're talking to a provider in your opinion what are some potential solutions you see to this issue Um, So I would say if you can try to invest in technology solutions, or if you have uh, the ability to take some of the information that's coming from electronic eligibility and learn from that. So if you have any IT resources, or if you have, you know, the ability to look at raw data sets, instead of constantly filling out that form that I just mentioned, perhaps you can identify trends. And each time a new patient comes in that's under the same insurance plan, you don't have to fill it out again. So if you can use technology and the ability to kind of intercept that data, if you're using electronic eligibility or your practice management system vendor to create those types of insurance plan details so that you're not repeating or reinventing the wheel each and every time, um, that's always a good thing. And then talk to your practice management system vendor about what options they may have or partnerships in the industry that um, that they have to offer to support the eligibility process in general. Yeah, I've done so many articles and I've talked to so many people and almost every conversation involves technology in some way and how it's changing healthcare and making it easier a lot of the times to get something done. Um, But if someone wants to be an agent for change, uh, how can they get involved, do you think? So there's a few ways. Um, As an individual provider, especially around eligibility, there is, and most people don't know about this, there is um, through CMS, it's called an asset offering. And it's really um, an avenue for providers to offer feedback. It's really actually filing complaints when they identify a 271 response that's out of compliance, meaning it's not following X12 guidelines. And what this does is it reinforces to those payers the importance and need to follow best practice so that we're able to get the information that we need directly from that 271 eligibility. The more we improve the response, the higher adoption will be. 
and the better it is for both payer, provider, actually all stakeholders within the eligibility space. The other is engage with different standards groups. I mentioned earlier, there's groups like Endetic, the ADA, X12, Weedy. They're all um, working towards creating best practices. Um, they have different work groups that you can participate with to advance the growth and adoption of electronic eligibility. They are developing standards and specification reports guidelines to interact with other entities. So if you really want to get involved, I would suggest, you know, looking up those those organizations. There's always a learn more or apply to to join um, within their their websites. So they're always looking for new stakeholders to join the fold and and really try to have strength in numbers. Thank you. I wish we could talk forever, but thank you, Colleen, for your time and thought provoking responses today. And we also want to thank our podcast sponsor, Change Healthcare. And you can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com slash podcast. Thank you again, Colleen. Thank you.